Well, uh, you guys can find your seats, and if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab that and go with me to uh, the book of Exodus, and we are going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 33, and I want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, so if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, You can, our ushers are coming around right now, you can just get their attention, and they would love to give you a copy of God's Word, and if you don't own one, uh, would you just take that one with you? It's a gift from us to you. We love uh, to study God's Word together, and uh, you can join us in Exodus chapter 33. Uh, That's on page 42 in in that Bible. Uh, Or you can go uh, follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, We're going to be working through the entire chapter today, Exodus uh, chapter 33. And as we get going, I just wonder, um, have you ever gotten something that you wanted? Okay, you you, you got it. and, And then you realized, I don't really want this. Like, I don't know really why I wanted this so badly. I was thinking about something. I, I've had this in my office uh, for a while, and, and, and I decided to uh, bust this out. And uh, don't, don't get too excited. I literally only know one chord on this thing. It's not that great, okay? I have had this thing for like 15, 16 years. I don't even know. I've had this thing for forever. And, and, and I was going through this phase. Uh, I was on an Oh Brother, Where Art Thou kick, and I was getting into the, the, the bluegrass scene. I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool. And I literally sold my electric guitar to buy this thing. I don't know what I was thinking for that. But like, I wanted this thing so bad, I can probably count on one hand the number of times that I have picked this up uh, to play this in the last like 13 or so years. I'm like, it's just like, that's how much joy and satisfaction this thing has brought into my life. And and I literally, I've been carrying this around everywhere we moved. It's been sitting in my office now for about uh, four years. And and I I thought back to the time when I, when I bought this thing, I'm like, I wanted it. And, 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 and I wanted that thing so badly, but now I'm like, why, why did I even buy this thing? Does anybody have uh, purchases like that lying around in your house? So, something that you've been, uh, maybe, maybe it's your Beanie Baby collection that you've been holding on for far too long, right? Um, that's embarrassing. Or, or, or um, maybe you have, you've amassed all of this fishing gear that, that is now just like shoved into a corner in your garage, not serving much of a purpose. Or now you have uh, three Instant Pots that you've used like one time, right? And, and, and there was a time in your life where you're like, I want that thing so badly. And now you're like, why did I even buy this thing? I, I think that's actually how idols work in our lives. That, that, that we're like chasing after these things, thinking like, this is what I need. If I could just have this, like that, that's going to make me happy. That's going uh, that, that, to bring satisfaction into my life. And then, then we finally get it. And, and after a while, we're realizing like, I don't even want this thing anymore. I, I, don't, I don't know what it was that I was thinking. That it, 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 didn't, it didn't live up to the billing. It's not really fulfilling a purpose in my life. And... and And then often we also have to uh, deal with the consequences and the pain of wanting and pursuing other things more than Jesus. And we realize, like, it never works, and it's never worth it. So I was thinking about this as as, uh, on on a kind of a big church scale. What do you, what do we want? What's the thing that you desire more than anything. Like, like this, is, this is the thing that I, I, I'm chasing after, I'm pursuing, we're, we're, we're spending our time and our energy, our focus on this. And the question is really, 
do you want most what you actually need most? You know our mission statement, right? The mission statement of our church is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. First and foremost, our mission is to glorify God. And you could just stop right there. That's what we're going after. We want to glorify God. And the way that we do that, how we get after that, is by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. But the, at the heart of this, what, what drives us is this vertical pursuit, this vertical focus that we want to bring glory to God. And then we want to experience his glory in our church, but it doesn't stop there because the vision is like Habakkuk chapter 2, that, that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like, we want God to get as much glory as he deserves. That's the thing that drives us as a church. And, and I hope you sense that, that our church's mission actually uh, connects with the purpose for your life personally. Because we want the glory of God collectively because it's the burning desire of each and every one of our hearts. We want the glory of God. In fact, we even sang that this morning. We're here for you. But we have to sometimes kind of check our hearts on this and, and, and ask ourselves honestly, is that really what we want? Is that the thing that just drives our, our, our desires and our heart's deepest longing? Is our desire for more of God, more of you, more of your glory? Or is it possible that we want something else? Like, do we want, as a church, do we, do we want to just be a bigger church? Do we want more people, bigger budget? Um, you know, we, we want to have our own building. We want to, you know, have comfort. We want, we want, we, 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 we want people to notice us. We want people to like us. Or on a personal level, do you want success? Like, I want uh, affirmation. I want, I want people to uh, tell me how much they love me and, and, and how highly they think of me. Or I want pleasure. I want comfort. Or I want security. Or at the end, end of the day, would we just give all of that up if we could just That's the big idea this morning that I want you to see. It's kind of a, a, a question that I hope is, is going to kind of penetrate just a little bit to, to see, is, is this really what's going on in here? here? Here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, note this. Do you want God's presence and glory more than anything? Do you want that more than anything? Or maybe... Maybe God's been convicting you of some idols, some other things that uh, helping you kind of recognize the foolishness of thinking that anything could actually be better than because it can't. And, and what we need to do is, is kind of realign our, our focus and our desires because this is what we were made for, to worship and, and enjoy God. And, and, and we're watching and, and learning this, these lessons from the children of Israel who had to learn this the hard way. And, and so I want to look at uh, chapter 33. And um, what I want to actually do, just get a little bit of a running start here. Before we jump into that, can, can you look with me at verse 35 of the previous chapter, like the verse right before uh, chapter 33, verse 35, it says this, then, then the Lord sent a plague on the people 
uh, because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. That was a bad day. Chapter 33, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have uh, brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you're a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. And therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So, so, so we're still feeling the tension in the air from uh, their rebellious idolatry with the golden calf. And, and, and this is, honestly, this is a little bit more serious, a little bit more severe than when your uh, manager calls you into her office because she's pretty ticked at you. And, and uh, they're, they're in trouble, okay? In fact, it's what we saw last week at the end of chapter 32 is that, that um, Moses told the, the Levites to strap on their sword, right? And they go out and they literally killed 3,000 men. And then we just read that, that God sent a, a plague and, and now we're, we're sensing this distancing, this separation between uh, God and the people of Israel. And, and I realize that some of you had some questions about that. I had a couple people ask me that uh, afterwards. Felt like we just kind of flew uh, past that. It just, it, it seems like some of the things that are going on here, it seems a little harsh uh, that he would do that. And so, so just side note, I think uh, it, it's important for us to get this sense from the text. One of the things that, that this is impressing on us is the reality that sin deserves God's judgment and wrath. It does. And we can't lose sight of that. We can't forget that, okay? I, I think we're so quick to be like, ah, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. And then we wonder why uh, God would judge sin. We're surprised by that, that he would bring consequences and that he wouldn't just kind of like sweep it under the rug. And like, we, we, we read things like this and we're like, why can't, why is God making such a big deal out of this? I mean, it's just, a, yeah, they made a statue. I mean, I realize that's not great, but, but why can't he just like move past that? I think some of the reason we feel that is because we have experienced and we've been resting in the grace of God. So there's no more condemnation for us in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. But then I think we easily forget how horrible and evil and destructive sin is and that it's so good that God would actually deal with it. Because he didn't bring sin into this world. We did. He made this, this, this perfect, beautiful world in which we could enjoy his presence, but we rebelled because we didn't want him and, and we didn't want to submit to his lordship. And so we broke this world and we broke the fellowship that we had with him. And now we're under the curse of sin. It's important for us to get a right view of sin and the ugliness of our idolatry and the, the severity of the evil and the rebellion that's in our hearts. Because otherwise, if, you're, if, if we kind of like downplay it a little bit, why did Jesus have to die? Like, why, why couldn't God have just let it go? You see, when we diminish the severity of our sin and act like 
it's not really all that big of a deal, then we belittle the holiness of God and we disparage the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so honestly, when, when we read stuff like this, we shouldn't be shocked at all that any of the Israelites were killed. We should be shocked that God would allow any of them to live. Like, the, 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 it's, it's not God's judgment that should raise questions in our minds. Honestly, we, like that should just make sense when we think about it. But, but it's God's grace. Do you realize God's grace is scandalous? And instead of questioning God's goodness because he judges sin, we, we, we should be dumbfounded in humility that he would be so good to us even though we don't deserve it. It's God's grace. It's God's mercy. We see that on display here. And yet they're still having to deal with some of the consequences of chasing after other things. And I think there's a lesson for us. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you um, two encouragements uh, for us as we're trying to realign our desires and what we can learn from them. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, note this. Don't settle for lesser things. Don't settle for lesser things. Okay, Israel spit in the face of God by replacing him with the statue of a cow. And, and, and yet God didn't, he still didn't wipe them out, which is just grace. But he is going to allow them to get a taste of what they were salivating over in their idolatry and kind of realize like, this, is kind of, this is kind of disappointing. This is, uh, this is disgusting in comparison. In fact, a couple of pastors pointed this out. They just, just noticed this. Uh, in, in one sense, they're getting exactly what they wanted. Because in turning away from God to another idol, they were essentially saying to God, we don't want you. And God's saying, okay. You can, you can still have the promised land. I'll even send an angel before he's going to clear out uh, the, the, the land to take out all of your enemies. You get to go in and you can live in a land that's flowing with milk and honey and there's no slavery. There's no more Egypt and you get your own space. You can kick back and, and spread out. You can live in abundance. I mean, you're going to be living the dream, but you don't get me. He says, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. Now, they're still getting a lot out of this deal, okay? They're getting some prime real estate. They don't even have to worry about annoying neighbors. God's going to just take care of that. And, and, and they're, they're going to get this great community, and, and, and they get to live in uh, luxury and comfort and peace and prosperity. This is a chance of a lifetime. There's just one catch. God's not going with them. And so they thought about it for just a minute, and they're like, Okay, it sounds fair, we'll take it, right? No, that's actually not how they've, they're, 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 I think they're finally starting to get it. Because look how they respond, verse 4. When, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They mourned. That's the same word, same emotion, same response that we're going to see later in the Bible in Numbers chapter 14 when this generation is standing on the brink of the promised land and they find out that they're not allowed to go in because God had led them right up to it and at that point they rebelled again and didn't trust him. And so now they're going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they weren't willing to trust the Lord again. It's the same uh, emotion that they're feeling right now. Like, like, like they're sad and they're grieving. This is the worst 
worst news that they could have ever heard. God's not going with us anymore. And they're having to live with this reality of like, we wanted something other than God. How dumb was that? And they're experiencing the horror of getting what they wanted. You know that? You know that feeling? And they're like, I don't think we really want this after all. And now they're having to take off their, their ornaments. That, that is probably the jewelry that they had received from the Egyptians when they plundered the Egyptians. It was a symbol of, of God's victory and God's grace in their lives. And, 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 and now they're just stripped of that. You just see the symbolism of the brokenness of their relationship with God. I mean, what a horrible thing to get what you think you want, but miss out on what you were made for and what you desperately need. And I think about some of the things that we chase after. And let's be, let's be real, okay? Some of the things that we want are not bad things. I mean, they can be good things. I mean, as long as it's not, um, you know, kind of a, a sinful distortion of something good. But, but, but if it's something that I'm wanting and I want that more than I want the Lord, then I'm just going to be incredibly disappointed because it can't ultimately satisfy the longings of our soul. Think about your job, work, your career, the things that you're, you're pouring your time into. I know that that takes a, 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 um, a lot of your energy and your focus during the week. And like, just think about it. Like, what good is it to be good at what you do and to advance your career and gain position and gain approval at work if, if you don't have your identity rooted in the one who can give you purpose and know that you didn't waste your life? Or, or um, finding Mr. Right would be wonderful. But that's not the missing piece that's going to guarantee that you live happily ever after. And yeah, like, like getting the promotion and having more money is going to raise your standard of living, but it's never going to be enough. There's always going to be more that you don't have and things that you haven't gotten to experience yet. We want, we want things like comfort and security and, and friends who would affirm us and love us and, and people who will listen and, and care about us. And, and we want the fleeting pleasures of sexual fulfillment. And we want the, the fun and the buzz of having those, those drinks and, and, and living in freedom and leisure and getting to do what we want to do and a, a sense of accomplishment from what we've done and, and and accolades and attention and, and, and safety and health and security and all that. But what God's word is helping us understand is none of that is worth more than God himself. And we don't have to look very far to see all sorts of examples of people that literally have it all. I mean, they get all the things that we would chase after and that we would think like, if we could just have that, then we'd be happy. But they're miserable and suicidal and addicted and self-medicating and trying to numb the pain and the, uh, the disappointment of actually chasing after and getting the thing that they thought they really wanted. But putting anything before him is just settling for lesser things. Like if somebody, think about it, think about it. If somebody guaranteed you, you're going to get everything on your Amazon wish list and you're going to have like a really cool job and a beautiful, healthy family and comfortable home and the best vacations. I mean, your life is going to be a dream, but you don't get God. Would that be disastrous 
news to you? Would you mourn over that? I had to think about it in, in, in my context and just get personal for just a minute. And, and I was thinking, like, what if our church was just growing like crazy and people were, you know, coming and telling me, like, just, uh, you know, I'm so thankful for what God's doing through you and, and um, just thousands of people flocking to hear me preach and our ministries are just expanding and all. Would I be okay with that if God wasn't in it? Like, what, what do I want? Do, is, do, do I want a bigger church? Do I want affirmation, people's praise? Is, is it really better to me to be loved and to, to feel successful? Or, or would I give all of that up if I could just have the presence of God and enjoy him? See, if we're not, if we're not pursuing him more than anything else and we're settling for lesser things, and church, I, I don't want us to miss out on the thing that is available to us. I've been thinking about our church. I want our church to grow so badly, but I want our church to grow in ways that is so evident that the Spirit of God has been at work. Not, not, not just in, in, in drawing crowds, but, but disciples that, that are growing in a genuine love for Jesus with the expectation that one day we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And one of the marks of a healthy, growing church is a hatred for sin, a, a repentance, a, a turning away and just dropping lesser pursuits like, that doesn't appeal to me anymore. I, I, I don't even want that. It's not worth it to me. One of the prayers of my heart, as I've been thinking about where our church is at, I just want us to lose our appetite to run after anything else. Just be done with lesser things. Like that doesn't even appeal to me anymore. And some of you are like, I want that. I want it so bad. Like I realize I'm, I'm in it. I don't want this thing anymore. I realize that this isn't like what life is all, it's cracked up to be. Like, I, I, well, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I, how do I turn away from that? Because sometimes there's a pull to that. There's a draw to those things. How do I do that? I think the answer is our, our second encouragement for realigning our desires. If you're taking note, note this. Seek the presence and the glory of God. Seek the presence and the glory of God. Now, I know that that's really obvious, okay? But I think this is helpful as we begin to realize, like, if we're going to turn away from lesser things, this is how we fight. We fight sin and a temptation for wanting lesser things with a greater, stronger desire for something better, someone. And so if you found yourself kind of just settling lately, what do I do about that? Seek the Lord. Run after him. That's going to change your appetite. Let me show this to you in the text. Let's, let's keep reading verse 7. Verse 7, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses 
turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. There's a future leader. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And consider, too, that this nation is your people. God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. He said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. I love this. Moses said, Please show me your glory. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will... Take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What a, that's a sweet moment. But, but before we get up on the mountain and experience that, there's this interesting little story, almost like an interruption. Uh, verse 7 tells us that Moses uh, used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. So just got to know, like, that's not the tabernacle, okay? Uh, the, tabern- the, the, the tent that Moses is putting up, it's a tent of meeting, but it's outside of the camp. God just gave him uh, the instructions to build the tabernacle where he's going to meet with them and dwell in their midst, in the middle, not outside. And, and so verses 7 to 11 is really kind of a, a break in the action, and, and it's recalling events that were, uh, they've been ongoing. This is the way it's been working, that Moses goes out and, and, and talks to God, and, and what it's really doing is drawing our attention to a glaring problem. Here's the problem. They're supposed to build this tabernacle on the way to the promised land so that God can be with them. But we just read, he just told them this disastrous word that now because of their sin, he's not going with them. And the tension of Israel's relationship with God stands in stark contrast to Moses' relationship with God. I mean, God, God literally comes down and speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, that doesn't mean that he literally actually saw God's face, but what it's saying is he's seeing the, you see the intimacy and the friendship that Moses enjoys here. And, and while it's a horrible thing for the people of God to be told that God's not going to be with them anymore, this scene gives us a little bit of hope because at least God's still talking to Moses which means he can be the mediator. He can be the one that talks 
for the people. And so we get this, this one-on-one interaction between Moses and God, verse 12. He's, he says, listen, you told me I'm supposed to go up, but, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You, I mean, you said that I have your favor, but I don't even know who's going with you. I mean, God had said to him back in, in verse 2 that he was going to send an angel ahead, but Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What I really need to know is, are you going with me? And I love his, his, his plea in verse 13. He says, show me now your ways that I may know you. Like Moses is not concerned with the promised land. He could care less about the promised land. Like that's not the thing that I want most. He just wants the assurance that he's going to have God, that he's going to have the presence of God with him. And so God assures him, verse 14, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And, and commentators note that the pronoun that God uses there is singular. It's, it's as if God's kind of saying to him, like, I'll go with you, Moses. And that might be why Moses responds like he does in verse 15, because uh, he, he says, no, 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 if, if, if your presence will not go with me, then do not bring us up from here. So he switches to the, the, the plural us, because Moses isn't concerned with just himself. He, he's being the mediator for all of the people. He's pleading that God would be with them too. And what he's trying to help them understand is, like, we don't want to go anywhere without you is it not in your going with us that we are distinct the thing the thing that sets us apart the thing that that's so special is that we have this relationship with you like so glad that you want to give us our own land to uh, spread out that like that's great but that's not what we want most what we want most is you and and think about in this moment what we stand to lose Everything that we have seen that God has done so far in the book of Exodus, bringing the plagues on Egypt and and, and rescuing Israel and parting the Red Sea and leading them out into the wilderness by a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and meeting with them on Mount Sinai and giving them the law. It was because God's intention, his promise to them back in chapter 6 was this, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God, and it was meant to culminate with him living in their midst, dwelling with them in the tabernacle, and now all of that is in jeopardy because of their sin. Like We might miss out on that, and Moses is just pleading like, we need you with us. I wonder, like, do, do we have that kind of a desperate desire to be with God? Is that the longing of our soul? Like, I don't want to go anywhere without the Lord. Or are we so distracted by other things that we got going on and, and other things that we want to do that it's really more of a struggle for us to actually want to spend time with the Lord? Like getting up in the morning and doing some devotion time is, like I have to really work at that. Or, or that we're, kind of confident in ourselves and like I kind of got this that we act like we don't really need God because we just completely forget to even pray. Do we want the presence of God? I love what he says, verse 17. God responds to him. He says, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And it's like, okay, all the tension of the book of Exodus. I mean, like we're, we, we almost missed out on the, the whole point was that God was going to be with his people. We're going to lose that. It's like a sigh of relief right now. 
Okay. God promises that he's going to go with them, but notice why. The reason that he's going to do this, the reason that he's willing to be with them is because he's pleased with their mediator. Like Moses, he's not always very great at this, but sometimes he hits it out of the park. And what he's doing right now, he's foreshadowing what Jesus does for us. He's foreshadowing Christ. That, that we enjoy God's presence. Think about this. God is pleased with you. You have God's favor. Not because you had a great week. Not because you did your devos. Not because you, it's not based on what you did. You have God's favor and his pleasure and you enjoy his presence because he's pleased with our mediator, Jesus. And then I love verse 18. In fact, if you don't already, would you just like underline this in your Bible? Like verse 18, I mean, I like wish that this could be our prayer. If you don't have it, like put a star or circle it. Go ahead and like underline it in your neighbor's Bible. Just like make sure that they have this down, okay? Like we want, don't want to miss this. I love, I love his, his prayer. What he's saying here is, please show me your glory. Is that what we want? Like God, we want to see you. We want to see your glory. Why, why, does, why does Moses ask for that? I think it's a fair question. Why, what, what's, what's his motivation here? Well, he's probably wanting some uh, assurance because he realizes it's kind of crazy that God would still promise to be with this wicked, rebellious people after they turned from him so quickly. and they, like, they seriously don't deserve this at all. But he knows how much they need him. He's thinking about it. He realizes like, there's no way they'd be where they're at if God had not been with them, if God had not been for them. And so he's thinking about where they're going. He's like, if we're, if we're moving forward, I just need the assurance that the thing that we need, the thing that we want most, we're actually going to get. More of you, God. More of you. But what is it that God gives in verse 19? What, what, is, what does God show in verse 19? He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord. So, so God's glory is going to be revealed in his character, in his name, and it's almost shocking, okay? Well, earlier when God had shown up on the mountain, on, on Mount Sinai, the people of Israel got this image of like fire and like smoke going up like a kiln and there's lightning and there's thunder and it's crazy. And the reason Moses said that they saw God's glory like that was so that they would fear, they would fear the Lord and they would not sin. And so you would think that, that after they'd blown it so badly that God would give Moses such a show of his power and his awesome presence that Moses would just be reduced to tears and be like, I'll make sure we never do this again, all right? Like, so when I'm trying to impress upon my kids and show them that dad means business and I don't want them to be acting like this anymore, I want them to sense my presence, you know what I'm saying? But, but God doesn't do that. In fact, um, John Selhammer said it this way. Surprisingly, what Moses learned about God's glory after the great sin of the golden calf was not further fear of God, but rather that he was a gracious God, full of compassion. 
God reminds Moses, like, don't owe you anything. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll be merciful to whom I'll be merciful. But he's good. That's his glory on display. And then, then Moses actually does get to see a little bit. Like, we've never experienced this, but, but, but he says, verse 20, you, you, you can't see my face. Okay, man shall not see me and, and live. And, and then we get this moment where he's going to hide him over here in, in uh, the cleft of a rock, right? And, and we get this kind of a picture of this like itty little bitty Moses over here and God's like massive hand protecting him. And, and then he's going to move away and, and he'll be able to see his back. And I think this is, as we read this, it's supposed to make us feel small and put us in our place a little bit and, and, and just realize like our God is awesome. And, and, and we are never going to fully comprehend or exhaust the mystery of the greatness of God. But we can know him. And Moses is allowed to see a glimpse of the Lord. We're going to see his response next week, but he's certainly not disappointed. But the, the question for us is, as, as we see what he's going after is, is, is this the burning desires of our heart? More of you, God. Like we, 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 want, we want to know you. We want to see your glory. We want to experience your presence with us. And we're not, we're, not, we're not just going through the motions on a Sunday morning when we come in here just so that we feel better about the fact that we came to church. But there, we're, we're coming in with eager anticipation and expectation that we are seeking the presence and the glory of God. Show us your glory. We want to see you. And we're not just content with Sunday morning. We want this all the time, every single day of the week. We'll, we'll give up sleep. We'll give up Netflix. We want to spend time with the Lord and his word and in prayer. And, and, and we're not going to let other uh, activities and other commitments and things that we have going on crowd out our time with God's people in, in Sunday morning gathering of worship or in small group. Like th- th- This is important that we're here for this, that we want to we love and we want to serve. And then we're giving up idols and we're, we're, we're seeing victory over that sin because we're losing our appetite uh, for the taste of other pursuits because we're believing more and more that Jesus really is better. There's nothing greater than him. So, so, so we don't want to settle for lesser things anymore and we're passionately seeking the presence and the glory of God. Do you want him more than anything? Are you seeking after that? And and I, I love the promise that Jesus gives us in Matthew 7. He says this, everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And so the psalmist actually instructs us He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Father, I pray that you would do that, that that would be the desire of our heart, that that we would just prove to us again, Lord, we've, we've, we've had the taste of the world in our mouth sometimes. There have been moments where we thought this is what we wanted. This is the thing that's going to make us happy. This is going to bring satisfaction. Or we we just realized that we've been uh, pursuing other things with greater tenacity. And Lord, I pray that you would show us those are just lesser things. It's not worth it. It doesn't work. I pray again that you would let our hearts genuinely in our church that our desire is to know you. 
what a sweet promise that if we're seeking after this, we're going to find it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's the desire of our heart, Lord, that we would know you, that you would give us the desire of your heart. That you would show us your glory again. We want to see you. There's nothing else, Lord, just this. We want you. It's in Jesus' name.